listeners of the Calvary Cast, welcome into episode 126. I am Graham Parker, associate pastor at Calvary Bible Church in Grand Junction, Colorado, and across from me is Jess Miller, lead pastor at Calvary Bible Church. How are you today? I am well. How are you? I am tired. You're tired. I am very tired. Does could any of that have to do with the fact that we haven't seen the sun in six months? That could be part of it. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But for Grand like Junction, it, it has no, been cloudy. This is, okay. This is way off, but that's all right. This is the way the podcast should always start. It goes way off the tracks right away. Uh, Grand Junction is very gray in the winter. It is like Seattle. The sun does not shine much. You think so? Because I, I do. I, I think that's more recent. Because when we first got here, I used okay, to maybe. love how sunny it was in the summer. Maybe. But you, everybody says that. Everybody says, oh, Junction used to be this way or that way that is in true. the weather. And I just know, so coming from South Dakota, people think, oh, South Dakota is winter all the time. That's what I'm picturing. But it's not. South Dakota tried to get the moniker the Sunshine State because it has more sunny days per year than Florida. Really? Yeah. So in the winter, you'll get a storm, it'll be cold, but then it's gone and it's sunny, right? And here, it's just gray for days. Yeah. And it does like, although there is an element, I feel spring in the air to mm-hmm. a degree. Yeah. Well, it does. And Junction usually gets an early spring. You get an early you spring. get a lot of 50 degree days. And, Which, yeah, yeah, different from South Dakota. Right. Spring doesn't come till July. You right, know? Right. And, it's, and so I like that. But. Yeah. It just feels like I used to talk about, it's compared to Northern Illinois. You know, I used to talk about the winters in, in Junction as you get more sun. It'll be cold sometimes. You'll get more sun. Very little bit of snow, which has been true this year. I've, I've only shoveled a dusting off one time this year. I haven't even shoveled. Yeah, it just it, it's been like so. That. That's nice. I like that because I, I do yeah. not want. But it's much also snow. like if it's gonna be gray, might as well snow. That's what I say. Yeah, but then when it gets sunny, you have snow on the ground. That's the only problem. But then it's reflective and it makes it even brighter. But it reminds you it's winter. <laughs> We could go back. Okay. No, well, but I. The fact that I have been outside in shorts and t shirts multiple I know. times and thought, <laughs> this isn't cold. I know. Isn't that nice, though? I go I out like to get firewood in my shorts and t shirt yep. for our yep. stove, and I'm like, I don't think I need to be burning wood. Other than the cloudiness, this has been a mild winter, oh which is really nice. They Injunction has some very nice mild winters. What I was telling somebody at the gym, this must be what, it likes to, what it's like to live in Arizona, right? Right. Like it's 60 in January. I was, I did, I was speaking at a conference, a mission conference in January in the Phoenix area <laughs> and it was like 70 and sunny. Yeah. That's, so it's a little better, but, but then they're too hot, right? Yeah. Then and, in the summer you're going to like, yeah, they get bake. too hot in the summer. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, enough of the weather. Enough of the weather. Uh, we probably, maybe we've gathered a couple new listeners. Some people from last week's massively successful podcast. Uh, maybe you're listening. You're like, these guys are dumb. And I, well, I'm <laughs> you've thinking, gotten three minutes in here. Like, what? Are, what do these guys do? Because last week's episode was a little bit different in the format. We, have, we had Jamie. We had Jamie on. Not as much banter. But typically, if you're new to the Calvary Cast, we we have casual conversations about topics that relate that we think are important to our church. People need to know. So there's this casual conversational element, and then we get to the more serious stuff. So if you're new, hang in. <laughs> it right. might get better. I, I think that uh, the success of that last podcast by listeners, yes. right? You've, yes. You've looked Numbers that wise, that was a, a big hit. She probably, I'm bet, I'm guessing she's a popular person, probably has social media, and might have even shared the podcast on her social have. media. Yeah. And know. we are not popular. And 
have no. no social media followings or anything to speak of. No. So, hence the uh, yeah. Anyway, the, which brings us up to other big news for the podcast. This month marks five years wow. of podcasting. That's amazing, five years. It's something. All the I every all these other podcasts that have just started in the last year, two mm-hmm. years. Like they just got on a podcast train. You guys are so behind it, uh-huh. and yet they all have more podcasts out than we do many of them yeah because well, they podcast consistently right it may be more of a priority to them than ours is to us yeah and ours ours isn't as much a priority as the other ministries we do here that is true so we that's why we go in spurts and starts and stop but nobody can take away five years we may not have as many episodes but we have more time that's right which doesn't necessarily make Anything. Which, okay, with the fifth year anniversary and our recognition by ourselves as the number one podcast from a Bible church in Grand Junction, Colorado, we are going to get a new logo soon, hopefully. Aiden is working on that. New logo, and then we're going to get some stickers printed up. Well, stickers, send them out to our fans, slap them on your water bottles, slap them on your computer case, rep the podcast. We're going to blow this thing up. And by that, I mean... <laughs> we'll still be the number one podcast from Bible Church in Grand Junction, That's Colorado, right. Right. and nothing bigger than that. So, anyway, enough banter. Let's get to our uh, topic of the day. Topic of the day. Thank you, AI. Uh, last week we hit on a very hot cultural hot button issue: abortion. And we thought, let's just keep doing it. Not abortion. We're going to talk about, if you haven't seen the title of the podcast, Should Christians Attend a Same-Sex Wedding? Let's just do it all. Let's just become a, the cultural reactionary hot-button, top hot-take hot podcast. What do you think? Well, we could. We'd probably keep getting more listeners. <laughs> or fewer. And invite, or fewer. Or, yeah, anyway. That, I, but the, this is an important topic. This is an important topic. We don't typically do these kind of things where we're reacting in large part to something that has happened because a lot of times those things don't necessarily pertain to our local church or they're, you know, they're, or they're dumb debates, right? Like Twitter debates. It just, it's not real life. But this one does. So we're talking about why should, should Christians attend a same-sex wedding or not? And this comes courtesy of Alistair Begg. Many people, and us included, big fans of homeboy Alistair. And uh, in case you did not know, uh, and if you didn't know, that's because you're not on the internet. At least the Christian. If you're on the interwebs, you would have heard of this. You've probably seen some kerfuffle about it because I mean, everyone in conservative Christian land is commenting on this situation because it's so out of character. Anyway, to set it up in case you don't know, Alistair Begg uh, gave a interview back in September, I guess. On a podcast, On a podcast, nonetheless. These will get you in trouble if you're not careful. <laughs> we might. Thankfully, nobody knows us. So <laughs> This is the benefit of having a small podcast. You can't get canceled <laughs> for it. It's not going to blow up the internet. That's right. Um, Alistair Begg gave an interview about a new book that he was writing, and in that, he was talking about a situation where a woman had written to him a letter and was asking for counsel on what to do. She had a granddaughter that was marrying a trans person, and she was trying to decide if she should go to the wedding or not. And 
The short of it was Alistair Begg's counsel was, yes, go to the wedding. You're a Christian. She knows that your your granddaughter knows you don't agree with what she's doing. Go to the wedding, take a gift, sit on the front row with your Bible, and 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 so that way you don't lose that relationship because that was the big fear, and that was Alistair Begg's fear and uh, empathy with this woman was that that thought of losing that relationship with the granddaughter. So that blew blew up the internet. Lots of responses to that because this has been a largely settled issue, I think. In our in what we would follow right. Circles, conservative right? conservative circles. Evangelicalism. This has not really been an issue. And, it, and it's don't go to the wedding. And it's don't go to the right. wedding. And we are going to say do not go. And so one, it's this is an issue that we want to talk about. One, because uh Alistair Begg is well known. Many people in our church listen to him. We listen to him. Uh, so there's that issue. So you have a conservative, well-known preacher now uh, advocating or or in this situation was counseling something that seems to be go against the counsel of Scripture. And then two, this is practical because people in our church are going to be faced with these decisions as well, right? You're going to have family members, loved ones, friends that are going to be in these situations. You may have a business like we have in Colorado all the time. You bake a cake, you take photos, you are a web designer, and here comes a homosexual couple or here comes a trans person. They want you to do something to celebrate them and their identity. What are you going to do? Especially when it has to do with weddings. Now, we should say this, with the Alistair Begg interview, that's very easy to find online. Yes. And then... He responded after the big blow-up about a week or two afterwards at his church on a Sunday evening, and you can find much of that online as yes. well. And he didn't retract at all, no. as a matter of fact. Which if, was surprising. Which was surprising. He he doubled down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can find both of those online, though, and, and listen to that right. in more detail and, and get more of the context and even hear about... Um, how he defended that. Now, let me say this before we get into why Christians should not do this, because we come at this from a pastoral standpoint, right? We're thinking about how do we help and what kind of counsel would we give to the people at Calvary Bible Church? We are not saying that this is not an extremely sensitive and difficult issue, and a, and one that if you're the situation of that, that woman who fears losing the relationship with her granddaughter— asks for counsel, is not grieved, knowing that her actions will probably further isolate her from her granddaughter, right? That is that is tragic. That is uh, very difficult. We recognize that. But at the same time, the Word of God calls us to have conviction, <laughs> the courage of those convictions, and to say, as Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth in love, no matter what the cost may be. Um, so that's that's to kind of set this up a little bit. Okay. So why should Christians not attend a wedding? I think we have to start with the question, just asking, well, what is a wedding? That is where you have to begin. Yeah. Because this isn't a question of, should I go to my son's, uh, the the context of this whole thing was the grandmother about the grandson. You talked about that, right? Yes. He was marrying a transgender person. So I don't know if it was a woman trying to be a man. It was not a heterosexual marriage. But it was to the wedding. It right. wasn't invited to a barbecue. It wasn't invited to, you know, out to dinner. Right. And that counsel would be in the main for me if the person's not a believer and they are 
living in this lifestyle, I would say you you would be free to do that if you would like to go to a birthday party, right? Sure. Yep. I mean, I think we would say uh, that. that's totally different. Or go different. visit them at their house or have yeah. them over for dinner or whatever. We'll get to that, at the I think, more at the end, yeah, too. Sure. Like, how do we relate but just But the context was a wedding, wedding. ceremony. Okay. And What's you're a, asking, what yeah. is a wedding? What is a wedding? So a wedding ceremony is a... Uh, founded in Scripture, beginning in Genesis chapter 2, was the first wedding ceremony where the Lord himself walked Eve down the aisle, presented her to Adam, and uh, they were brought together in a marriage union. And Moses steps back from that scene and says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So there was a ceremony there, and they were joined together. So wedding ceremonies themselves are covenant uh, ceremonies before God and witnesses of this union between uh, a man and a woman. Uh, that is to be a permanent union and a covenant union, very clearly between a man and a woman as God designed it. So that's what the ceremony is doing. It's right. bringing these two together. In and, okay, so so if it is a this covenantal union uh, made before God and witnesses, what are people who are attending it doing? They are both witnessing, witnesses to it, mm-hmm. right? But there is also the element to where they're endorsing it by their very presence. Yes. They are taking part now. That's why that's why the 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 leader, the officiant, the pastor, whoever will address the audience. Yeah. Oftentimes I've heard the actual homily given directed to the audience mm-hmm. even more than the couple because they're right. not paying attention to you anyway. <laughs> Hopefully they've already had their premarital counseling, right? right. Now the, it's the it's the it's the congregation that's bearing witness to this. And oftentimes, you know, and I don't think it's quite as common now, but it used to be, you know, is there any reason these two should not be wed, yeah. right? Like you could stand up and say, I don't think they should be married. And that was really important. That came from the Book of Common Prayer. Yes. They had in in the Church of England, they had to to say that, because they had it written out, their ceremony of yeah. what it would be, and they had to ask, is there any objection? Yeah. And if you're a Christian, <laughs> right? you go to the, to a, a same-sex wedding, there should absolutely be a, a, an objection. That's right. Okay. Uh, okay, so there. So witnesses, you're doing something. You're not just a, a spectator. Mm-hmm. You are a participant in this ceremony. That's, that's, that's why, again, you go get married— to be legally married, to your marriage to be recognized, you have to have witnesses at the ceremony, right? right? So, so that's that's uh, that's a big part of it. When you get an invitation in the mail, it usually says something: "Join us to celebrate the yes. union of so and so and so and so." What does the invitation that you receive say? Yes, because whatever it says is what they're expecting you to do. Yep. So even if the, like in in Alistair Begg's example. Even if that grandmother has voiced her disagreement to this union to the couple, by her very going, accepting this invitation to come and help celebrate the union between, you know, so-and-so and and -and so-and-so, you're actually endorsing it. There's no way around it. Yep, yep. Uh, The other issue, I think, that comes to play here is this event is not a marriage. Right. It's not a wedding. It isn't. <laughs> I mean, it is per- pretending to be, 
but as the scriptures clearly out lay out, this is not what marriage is. It is between a man and a woman. It's not between two men, and it's not between two women. That's right. Right. So we need to understand that. Let me throw this other thing out here because some people might say, "Well, you're you're overly harsh on this." Christians, I think, courageous Christians with con- biblical convictions, there would be heterosexual marriages they would not go to. I think so too. <laughs> yeah, right. If you would you go to a marriage uh, for a man who left his wife to go marry another woman? Right. Ran off with his secretary, right. abandoned his wife and, and family, and this is your grandson. Right. Would you go support him in that marriage? You should not. Right. I, I'm the same thing. Why? That is that is not God's design. That person That's is right. living in sin. You cannot celebrate the destruction of something of another marriage. Right. That's it, what you'd be doing. Or what if your what if your grandson was a fundamentalist Mormon and he was going to marry his third wife? Yeah. Would you go to that wedding? Polygamy. Yeah. Polygamy, mean. yeah. Like, in other words, he kept the first two and he's and yep. he's marrying a third or whatever it is. Would you support that? Yep. Or an incestuous marriage yep. where a man just decides, your grandson decides he wants to marry his sister. Are you going to this wedding? Yep. So It's what, heterosexual, right? sure. So, so And I no. think with all of those other examples, Alistair Begg would say, of course not. Then what's the difference in this one? Yes. Why this particular, and we can get more into that later, yep. but why this particular type of wedding, you would say, well, yes, go to this one, but no to these other ones. Yes. One more thing I want to add to the wedding. Yeah. Because it's it's not just what is the wedding, but what is a marriage, right? So so we need to remember that Paul said in, in Ephesians 5, verses 31 to 33, he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting from the first marriage ceremony in Genesis 2 in that. And then he says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Now, when he uses the word mystery, he means something that was hidden in the past, but has now been revealed to us in the, in the church age. And what was hidden in the past is that God designed marriage from the very beginning, bringing Adam and Eve together as this picture, uh, an illustration. I've heard it referred to as an, a living, breathing, daily illustration of the gospel union between Jesus and his church, Christ and the church. This was what that was all pointing towards in the way God has designed it. That means that any distortion of it, whether it be with polygamy or homosexuality or transgender, distortions of this are actually bringing distortions against the gospel picture. Yes. You know, because someone may say, well, what if what if people have been divorced and then they're getting married and we don't believe that their divorces were legitimate, but they're getting married, would you not go to that? I'm saying it would be less wrong. Mm to go to one of those than it would be to go to a homosexual marriage. The reason that's a case is because at least in any marriage union where you have a man and a woman coming together, you at least still have a semblance of the picture of Christ right. in his church. This is what God has designed. Yes. And um, in that sense, it's legitimate. It's not opposed to nature. That's right. As a homosexual marriage. And it's is. not opposed to God's illustration embedded in marriage. Yeah. It's like Paul reasoning in Romans 1, all sexual immorality is bad, but you can really tell a culture that's been turned over to base mind because they'll start to have women exchanging the natural use of their bodies, and they'll be with women, the men doing the same. You'll see homosexuality because it goes against God's design, 
uh, for men and women, his original purpose in it. I think that's really important because it. I think it elevates this issue of going to a gay wedding to a, actually a really close to fundamental issue because it's tied right to the gospel. It's distorting the gospel message, even if the people doing it are not Christians. Yeah. No, that's that's really, really important. I think we need to ask the question, because this is the issue kind of behind it, right, that would give somebody pause, okay? We can think about all the gospel issues. Marriage is a gospel issue, and yet some people go, ah, and the reason is is because of the concern of loss of relationship. That was the issue with this woman, and I think that would be the same thing. And again, that that's real in terms of the pain, the the hurt. Nobody wants to have a severed relationship with a loved one. At least they shouldn't, right? right like right. that. I, I think that's a natural good instinct. But what does the Bible say that's right. <laughs> about the, the concern over a lost relationship? I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 10, because I think this is the passage that speaks most clearly. It's Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Jesus is saying, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is Jesus saying there that relates to this issue that we're talking about. Yeah, I think it's, it is very directly related to this. <laughs> very directly. If the concern of the grandmother in our conversation with Alistair Begg, if the concern of the grandmother is I'll lose my relationship with my grandson. Now, I'm a grandfather, and I could understand that would cause pain. The very thought of losing a, like a permanent division yes. between me and my grandson would be hard to bear, or any other member of yep. my family. Um, but this is what Jesus warned would happen. Because when somebody is committed to Christ, it is going to require things of them. Their, uh, their primary allegiance in life now is to Jesus. Their primary love is reserved for Jesus. And they may be called to do things or not do things yeah. that will divide, right? A man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He's making it clear, like, he's warning disciples, I didn't come to bring your family together in every yeah. instance. Now, thankfully, through the gospel and God's grace, that happens. Yes. Families come together, even uh, bad relationships are healed, those kinds of things. But when you choose Christ, it's such a divisive thing that we walk in righteousness, we call, we teach righteousness, and Jesus said his disciples would be persecuted for that, and that will include in one's family. Yeah. Now, what after he says the first part of that, where he says, I've come to bring a sword, and I'm going to divide up families in some instances, that's a shocking statement. Mm -hmm. But then he follows it up with, because the person's thinking, Jesus, you're going to make me choose between you and a family member, uh, we had a family member that lived out of state, and that, so we weren't in town, thankfully, or whatever, but she was marrying a woman. It was a niece of mine, and she was getting married to a woman. And her mother said uh, to us, as we were talking about this, 
She said, don't make me choose between my daughter and Jesus. Hmm. Okay. But that's exactly what Jesus makes you do. Yeah. Okay, so, because he goes right on to say, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If your choice would be the relationship with your daughter or grandson or whoever it is over your relationship with Jesus, even though you know this is wrong or whatever, then your loyalty has been shown. Yeah. This is not to say, again, like that there's not real grief, almost like a death right? over the loss of that relationship. But I think what it comes back to is, do we believe the Word of God? Do we believe that Jesus actually meets needs, <laughs> that following Him is going to be more glorious, more wonderful than giving into a temporary thing here, right? Sure. Like, we, we say this in, in so many other areas of sin, right? Like, the fleeting pleasures of sin over the lasting joy of Jesus. Right. The same thing applies here and relationally. The challenge is, is that you're going to live with this potentially lifelong now yeah. uh, broken relationship. Yeah, there's that. And then the, on the other end, there's the promises, though, that Jesus holds out, right? Like, it's like he says, whoever loses any of these things for my sake or for the gospel's sake— You've got way more than this coming in the kingdom. Yes. And I know in the present moments that would be brutal. Yes. Um, so, but what I would say too to the grandmother in this situation, I would say your grandson loves you probably, right? He has a love for you. And you, if you take your stand in this, there might be other opportunities mm-hmm. as time goes on and his anger subsides that you could still be involved in their right. life to a degree right. and you can do other things. We're not saying you can't do these yep. other things. It's this one thing yep. that you can't do. You know, and we didn't talk about this this earlier, but one of the big issues with in the whole LGBTQ plus world where where we are being asked to affirm another person's identity, right? And and this is where I think Christians have really had to come to real courage of their convictions on this, because over the last 20 years, the LGBTQ plus agenda has been shown to be exactly what it what it is, right? It was at first, oh, we just want privacy in our own bedrooms. Well, then we just want marriage. Why can't we have the same rights as you? And, and people, conservative, politically, and Christians continued mm-hmm. to give ground on those issues. Yep. And now it's not just that, it's you must ident- you must affirm and celebrate our decisions. That's right. And so here's the thing. And and people think about, you know, if I don't go to this wedding, if I don't accept this person's identity, if I don't use their pronouns x y and z, well, then I'm going to be called a homophobe, I'm going to be called a bigot, all these different things. Who cares? <laughs> I mean, like are you following Jesus? Who cares? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. You follow Jesus. Um so we need to have the courage of our convictions. And at the same time, oftentimes, if you courageously, but yet humbly, gently hold your convictions with courage, mm-hmm. people actually might respect that. They might respect it, yeah. You know, like, I'm willing to love you and have a conversation, be your neighbor, be your friend, whatever, but I don't agree with you. That's right. But you can come to my house for a barbecue on Friday. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, but it also may be they hate you. And they might hate you. Right. Yep. And, and we have to be okay with that. Because that's that's the nature and we can't of the world. say 
Jesus, you didn't warn me this would happen. <laughs> yeah, right. He was very clear about what's going to come upon his disciples. Yes. And the right down to their most intimate relationships being divided because yeah. of their allegiance to him. Yeah. Okay, I got, before we move on to another passage, I have one other thought I want to add on this, right? And this is where I do think there's a warning to be said. If you cave on this area, where else are you going to cave, right? You cave on going to the, the same-sex wedding. What happens when they adopt a child, and then that child later on decides to have a transition, and they want to have a gender reveal party? Are you going to go to that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about the loss of a relationship? You might mm-hmm. lose the loss of relationship with your great grandchild, yeah. right? This is this is where like come to the courage of your convictions based on the word of God and stay there. Yeah, don't continue, Cal. Okay, well, that, that couple probably wouldn't have a gender reveal party until their child was old enough to reveal its own. Right, gender. that's what I'm saying. Like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, I'm saying like you know, <laughs> it's twelve years old and oh look, oh, I got you know you. that okay, kind of situation. Okay, okay. okay, so we've talked about. Uh, the the concern over loss of relationship. What does the Bible say? Two other, or one other area to hit upon, and we've already talked about this. We're saying that a wedding is a participatory event. We're saying the wedding is a gospel issue. All these things. What does the Bible say though about participating in events? And I will say that like a same sex wedding is a demonic thing. I think it's it is activity. It is it is it is not. Of the, it is of the spirit of the world. It is not mm-hmm. the spirit of God. What does the Bible say about participating in those kinds of things? First passage is in Ephesians chapter 5. The whole, all, we were talking earlier, all of Ephesians 5 really relates to this issue. But I think about uh, verses 5 through 17. I'm not going to read all of it, but listen to this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon Mm -hmm. the sons of disobedience. Right, Romans 1 there. Mm -hmm. This is the instruction then to Christians. This is the application. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Then he goes on later on, verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Here's the the instruction, exercise wisdom, (laughs) discernment. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What does that tell Christians who are considering attending a demonic-inspired event what they should do? Yeah, it's very clear you have no part in it. Don't become a partner with them. Yeah. When they invite you to this demonic uh, ceremony, and that's what it is, it's, it's the lie of the devil being played out in real time in this official ceremony. The truth of marriage is it's between a man and a woman because it's directly tied to the gospel. And it needs a, it's supposed to be illustrating the gospel. The lie of the devil is, oh no, a man and a man can be married or uh, you know a, a man and a transgender or vice versa or whatever that's the lie of the devil that's the works of darkness so instead of taking part in it and actually being partners he says therefore do not become partners with them if you the wedding invitation says hey come join us be partners with us in the celebration of you know Bill and Steve okay and you show up you are being partners with them you are taking part in the uh, unfruitful works of darkness and you're supposed to just instead expose it right you're supposed to tell them 
No, I won't, and here's why. Right. This is wrong, and you call them to repentance as hard as that would be, I know, because it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Yeah. Uh, so shine the light of the gospel onto it. That may result in their hating you, but that is what God calls you to do. Yeah. One other passage I think that relates to this is in 1 Corinthians 10. And um, there, well, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is dealing with meat offered to idols and all those different things. But in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul specifically is talking about um, participating in what would have probably been pagan worship services. And he draws this correlation between the Lord's table and participating in what he calls the the cup of demons. So he says um, in verse 21, "...you cannot drink uh, the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons." You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. His point there, when we partake, he's saying, and we I bring this often up in the Lord's table, when we take of the cup and we take of the bread, the reason only Christians can do that is because they are saying, I'm a participant with Christ. I've been united with Christ. What Paul is saying is, you can't then go to pagan worship ritual, lift the cup there and say, hey, why? Because you're saying you're a participant with you're it. participating in So the, the same thing I think applies then to going to a same-sex wedding, right? Yes, <laughs> you're yes. lifting the cup saying, I'm a participant with this. Yeah. I affirm this thing. Yep. You can't do it. And this, you know, in that Ephesians 5 passage, you know, and this just is really the application. Paul says, look carefully then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord in this situation is clearly to not participate in these works of darkness. You're you're giving your consent by showing up to something that's going to bring great wrath on your grandson. What your grandson needs is a loving prophet in his life. And the prophets were calling the nation of Israel over and over again, repent, repent, disaster's coming. The Lord was appealing through them. Paul says we have the same as his ambassadors, the same call, which is, you know, repent and believe the gospel, be reconciled to God. You know, and if he doesn't have anybody, if if the one Christian person he knows, yeah. if that's you, is showing up to this and bringing a present, as Alistair Begg said, bringing a present for these two, who is going to speak that truth into that person's life? Yep. And you know, he needs a he needs a loving prophet in his life. And if you show up to this, you're just participating in it. The loving prophet warns of impending judgment rather than like coddling a person, right? Because I think right. that's can, that can be what happens here, is that by celebrating, affirming, participating yes. in, even though you say, I don't agree with your, what you're doing, you are subtly saying, you agree, right. and and you've lost that prophetic witness. That's right. And uh, could very well be like uh, encouraging this person to continue yes. in their sin rather than calling them to repent. Even Jesus' own brothers rejected him until they were saved later. Yes. Um, and he, he made the comment in John 7. He said, The world hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. You know, his kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Israelites hated him and rejected him. His own family, uh, his brothers rejected him, hated him. Why? 
because he'd testify against it that its works are evil. And he did it in love, but he did it with that prophetic power that our world needs right now. The church, this, this false sentimentality, this emotionalism of love that's professed yep. is not true love because true love will speak truth. If you know your person, your loved one is in real danger, you're going to warn about that. And um, the world, our world needs the church to be the pillar and buttress of the truth right now. They need the world to be um, proclaiming prophetic truth of a judgment that's coming. The wrath of God is coming. This is very real. It's not a game. It's not a joke. It's a very real thing that the, the day of the Lord is coming, and God is going to pour out his wrath. And there are if, if you are not in Christ, you're going to experience that wrath then and then forever. Yeah. And what the, what the church has to remain steady right now. And the bad part about this is we will say to people, you know, and many, many other countless pastors, no-name pastors and big-name pastors yep. will say it, but all it takes is a few to come forward like Alistair Begg and say, no, it's okay, you can go to the same-sex wedding, that's what love is, and they're just being Pharisees, because that's what his, right. that was in his, his defense, point. you can watch it on his Sunday night service, it's accusing us of Pharisaicalism. But the problem then is, is then the Christian believes that, because they Christians tend to follow their shepherds. They believe that, and now all of a sudden you're going to have the body of Christ, which should be standing firm in this issue. Mm -hmm. Like, we're crying out against it. This is wrong. Just like we should be crying out about abortion that we talked about last week. We should be in unison about this. There shouldn't even be any debates about this. And yet now all of a sudden you have Christians that say, well, see, I can go, you're just being unloving. They use that sentimental type of love thinking that's what the Bible says, and there's the biggest problem. This And the reason Alistair Begg should be held accountable to this is because he is bringing division to the body of Christ where he shouldn't be. Yep. And I think this is why so many people that respect him, honored his ministry, are taken back. He was, he was on the schedule to be speaking this year at the, the Shepherds, Shepherds Conference, which is is this wonderful conference of men that come together and it's you can trust what you're hearing and things. And now he's been removed off of that. Yeah. They can't even let him come and speak there anymore. Yeah. And I have a feeling that because of his good teaching over the years that people followed, they know this is not yes. right. It's so surprising that I think he's going to lose followers. I think he's going to lose... He has a pastor's conference every year around Mother's Day. I have a feeling this will be their lowest attendance pastor's conference that he's had. I don't know. Yeah. I have a feeling he's going to lose uh, spots on radio stations. Oh, Things he already gonna, has. Yeah, well, he has that, right. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a feeling this is not over. Yeah. It's not going to go away. And that's sad. Yeah. Uh, but it's in uh, the reason that people are taking like you know the shepherds conference takes them off because this is not a small issue. No, this is massive. Massive. And if they were to bring him there, they're condoning what he said. They would have to get up and give two messages before he got on <laughs> why he's wrong. Okay, now Alistair, come present your talk yeah. or whatever. But it's like this is this is it's sad. I don't like to see it. I he to me was one of the good guys. You yep. know that you would just think he would land in the right place on that. Yeah. And I hope, you know, if he comes out humbly, maybe the Lord works on him, he comes out humbly and he's like, 
this was I, I hadn't thought about this enough because this is such a, a newer and sensitive issue that anybody, you know, most reasonable people could understand. Okay, I allowed my empathy mm-hmm. to drive my decision in this. Yes. And that was that was wrong. Yeah. I, you know, he would find forgiveness and grace, but not another invitation to the masters. <laughs> well, okay, so a couple things I just want to pull out from what you just said, and then we'll start to wind this thing down. But uh, why is it that, that Alistair Pegg, faithful Christian, other Christians would come to differing agreements? And I think it has to go to some of those, a wrong understanding of empathy, misapplication of it, and compassion, and love, yeah. right? And for most Christians, it is that misguided notion of love. Well, love doesn't ever say hard things. It that's only right. coddles, right? Yeah. So that that's primary, and I don't think even Peg would disagree with us on that. Uh, I don't fully understand why he came mm-hmm. to the conclusion he did. I think he explained it a little bit in his, his talk, so people can go listen to that and maybe get a little more context. But there's obviously some, some things that have gone wrong. Okay, l- two questions. Should Christians still listen to Alistair Begg? You and I talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. We have maybe differing, slightly different, slightly different. But I think in the main, it's the you know. Yeah, I'm going to say he has had 40 years of faithful ministry. This is the first area where you go like, wow, that seems like a serious compromise. I think you could still listen to him, but now you listen to him with a major load of discernment. Like you should always be discerning, but now you're even more so, right? Like I don't, I read people I don't agree with on everything, and. And people that, for example, like uh, Eugene Peterson, you enjoy his books on pastoring, but yeah, he compromised on this issue yeah. towards the end of his life. But you read him just going like, I'm going to be kind of discerning. On pastoring, right. Yeah, I'm going to read yep. him on pastoring or things uh-huh. like that. Um, so I think there's just, you now have a heaping spoonful of discernment, yeah. you know, and then you watch what happens from here, right? right. So I think there's there's that 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 element. Um well, I, I think that you you can. I, we're not. I don't tell you who you can or can't listen to. Um, I think that in every probably every sermon that he's preached, other than the one for that Sunday night where he tried to explain this, you're going to get good Bible teaching. Really good. However, it is also you've got to listen now with extreme cautiousness because this is such a grievous error that it makes you it, it's going it should raise a, a a caution flag over everything now that he yeah. says or does. Okay, that's one thing. Secondly, let me say this. Celebrity pastorism is very dangerous and this is one of the reasons. People that grandmother, I don't even think she went to his church no, that asked him not. that question. Mm-hmm. So my, curi- my I would be curious as to to whether or not she checked with her own local church pastor. Because sometimes what's happening, and this is not the way that God designed the church, what's happening is people are becoming, they're submitting more to the teaching of someone who is this big name, a John Piper, a John MacArthur, a Charles Stanley, uh, you know, whoever you might, you know, the people at our church might hear or know. They become more prominent voices 
shepherding voices than their own local church pastors. And I'm not saying that I'm more gifted than any of them or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying God's structure for the local church is that he gives shepherd teachers to that assembly. I also believe to the church universal, he does and has historically given shepherd teachers and scholars that have helped the church grow. But you have a local church with pastors that I think should be your priority and guiding. And you you can see in this example where you can have a guy with 40 years of awesome ministry and then kind of blow it in one, you know, fell swoop. And you've just got to be cautious. Everybody's just a man, right? Yep. Everybody's a man with sins, shortcomings, yep. failures. The more you're around a person, you see, you know, some of these celebrity pastors or some authors that I might read or whatever, the more you learn about them behind the scenes, and I'm not saying like big moral things, but these were not perfect men. Right. They all had faults in their shortcomings in that. So be careful always, you know, we don't just, and then resist the temptation to defend your most favorite yeah. famous pastor just because they're your most favorite. Right. I see that happening too. Like people come to the defense of yep. someone that is doing something they yep. shouldn't or whatever. I don't know. So all those things are. I think those too. are those are good uh, words of of counsel there. Okay, I want to just land on this last passage, First Corinthians six, because here's the the flip side. In Beggs' uh, talk, his sermon, right? He's preaching from Luke fifteen and the prodigal son, and his concern. I think in this whole issue is that Christians, we not be Pharisees, right? That we not be like the elder brother and all of those things. And there is a reality—that is a true—that is a danger amongst Christians, and it's a danger on this issue of homosexuality. And I think probably the majority of people in our church, we would tend towards maybe that in some ways, right? Like, we look at sin that we think of as abhorrent, like mm-hmm. homosexuality, something that's never been a temptation for us. We've never, you know, it's new, <laughs> really, yeah, yeah. in its prominence and celebration in the culture, and we're just repulsed by it. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, I don't want a thing to do with them. You know, you have the homosexual neighbor next door. You're like, I'm never talking to them. I don't want to touch them. That kind of attitude, which is real among some Christians. Right. That's wrong. Right. Right. That's not gospel witness, that's not speaking to the power of the gospel to transform a heart and a, and a life. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Not only is homosexuality listed in that, but theft, greed, drunkenness, swindlers, all those things, they're all the same in terms of sin and condemnation before God, and it's only the grace of God that saves. And so understand the grace of God reaches the worst of sinners, and that includes you. That's right. You've been shown that grace. Now what do we do as uh, clay pots, right? Mm-hmm. We have this treasure within us. We share it. Doesn't matter who, and it doesn't matter the lifestyle in. They need the grace of God just like you right. received it. Right. Yeah, That and your allegiance to Christ not only makes you sometimes harm relationships because you have to take a stand for righteousness, but it also requires you to pray for your enemies and do good to those who harm you 
and it requires you to share the gospel for the purpose of people doing sins that are to you the worst kind of yep. sins to share the gospel with them with the desire that they come to faith in Christ. Yeah. When we talked about on Sunday morning, we talked about the eight to 10 late term abortions happening in Boulder mm-hmm. every day. It's actually per week, but is it week? It's week. Yeah. Okay. Per week in Boulder, uh, eight to 10 per week. And the vast majority of those are of uh, inconvenience. Now, I, as I was praying, I was praying, and I mentioned the fact that we can we can pray in precatory prayers. Yes, on the enemies that would do something like that to the innocent, while also keeping in mind that we can pray for and desire God to save the the. I'm not talking about the women that have that done. Pers- I was talking about the um, the doctors who are willing to do it. Yep. to have that those doctors. Um, become saved, that the grace of God can change that person. And they would mourn over what they've done and they would repent. And, and yet that's what we should, that's what we should want and desire. So it's these, this both and. Yep. Yep. We still have to be, our allegiance to Christ requires us to be gospel people, which says any and every sinner on the planet, God can exercise his grace in their life. And we're the means through which the gospel comes. That's a good word. Well, we thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, We pray that this conversation and all the ones we have would help first the members of Calvary Bible Church to be built up as the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, as we are told in Ephesians 4. If you're part of another local church, we pray our conversation helps you serve faithfully where the Lord has placed you there. If you enjoy the podcast, we would love hearing from you by giving us a rating and a review. Five stars only, please. Or if it's less, that's okay too. Uh, we love interaction. We love hearing from you guys. So send us your thoughts on the show, topics you may uh, want us to discuss or questions or comments you have. The easiest way to get a hold of us, of course, if you're part of our church, just talk to us in person or you have our phone numbers, you can give us a call or a text. Otherwise, send us an email at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. You can follow us online, two places, Instagram and X. We are at thecalvarycast. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. Until next time.